Well, this morning, as Mark said, we take up that continuation of the birth narrative in Luke chapter 2, where Jesus now is taken and brought to the temple for dedication and for circumcision. And when he arrives, there's this man, this older man, waiting for them, waiting for him. And upon entering the temple, takes him up in his arms and sings what we sing every Sunday at the end of our service, uh, the, referred to as the Nunc Dimittis, the Now Dismiss Us, um, uh, the Song of Simeon. And we have chosen that to conclude every service on Sunday because in some sense, as we come together for worship, every Sunday is this. Every Sunday, we are presented with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not just presented with tips for living. <laughs> you don't get, my sermons are not intended to be, you know, 10 rules for this and eight principles for that. My job as a pastor, a, a minister of word and sacrament, is to present Christ to you. And so we leave every Sunday saying, Lord, we have seen it. Lord, we have received it, and we are ready to depart in peace from this service. But if in life, then we're ready. We're ready, for we have, we have tasted of and we have received Christ. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing when we get to uh, read a text that we sing and have in our liturgy, liturgy so regularly. Well, I want us to consider two things. Really, we're just focusing in on Simeon, not so much uh, Anna. You see the, the second one is this, this prophetess, Anna, who then also prophesies. But we're just considering here this morning the encounter with Simeon on the other side of the birth of Christ for our Christian living and for our uh, um, faithfulness and the call to action as Christians uh, this new year. So first I want us to think about Simeon himself and his, um, his, his expectation, his waiting, and then his words about what he sees. Why is this a cause for singing? And then secondly, he turns to Mary and Joseph, and then he has specific words for them, and I believe through them, really, to us here at Affirmation. So I want us to think about Simeon, his song, and then his words or his prophecy. As we begin the text in verse 25, I mentioned this when I talked about Mary, that in some sense Mary is like a, uh, a, a fulfillment, a representative of Israel. She is everything Israel was meant to be, right? The virgin bride of God who gives birth and brings about Messiah for the sake of the world. I mean, she is in a person what Israel was called to be. And in some sense, Simeon is this as well. Simeon's an old man, right? Just as Israel has been this long waiting, come thou long expected Jesus, we sing when we sing that hymn. Here, Simeon is this man who has long since been looking forward to and expecting the coming of Messiah. But what's beautiful about Simeon is he has not looked away. He has not been distracted. Simeon has not, you, you can't turn his eyes. He is looking to the horizons. He's looking from whence comes your help. You know, he, he's waiting for the coming of Messiah and he will not be distracted. So much so, so deep is the longing of Simeon that the Lord makes him a promise. You will not die until you see Messiah. I mean, what a blessed thing for this gentleman. 
and what what satisfaction it must have given him. And so his eyes are peeled. You know, you can't you can't distract him. And and this is how Israel should have been. Right? This is just as Israel was to be a virgin bride. I mean, this is how Israel should have been. Just focused and intent on faithfulness in the waiting. You know, you hear all the parables of Jesus. Now, now here again, we have to draw the application to ourselves because we too, now we're not in Advent season anymore, but you will remember that when we were in Advent, I would make the point every year again and again that we're in our own Advent. We too are looking forward. And therefore that Simeon-like attentiveness is to be ours as well. And Jesus says as much. He gives parables to this end. You know, the parables of the ten virgins. You know, and the five foolish virgins who just, they're, they're, they're not prepared. They just don't have the foresight. They don't bring oil for their lamps. And when their lamps go dark, they, ah, I guess we'll go get some more. And then the bridegroom comes. And they're not ready. And Jesus says, don't do that. <laughs> be, be prepared. Be vigilant. Be Simeon. You know, with this, just focusing, one thing matters to me. One thing matters to me. And it's the coming of Messiah. So Israel should have done this, but Israel did not do this. Israel got distracted with every other thing. You know, Israel got disrupted, disrupted and distracted in power plays. And then, you know, they will remember, even going back, the idea that we talked about last week with Epiphany, you know, that, they wanted a king like the other nations. They got distracted by the other nations. They started looking around what the other nations are having and what they're doing and think, well, we, we have to do that too then, I guess. You know, we have to have that. And they lost focus. And that just spiraled them into a whole bunch of lack of focus. And God told uh, kings like Solomon this, don't go marrying many women. And Solomon couldn't help himself. You know, he's got a thousand wives. Not only did he marry a few, he just said, forget it. You know, he why? Because they will distract you. Right? They'll distract you. And next thing you know, he is distracting. He's building altars for them to worship at. And it's just, Solomon loses focus. And Israel lost focus. Simeon did not lose focus. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting. <laughs> that, that, that's how he's described waiting right there's that advent longing and i love what he's waiting for and i particularly love this word that he was waiting for the consolation of israel so simeon is a man who is in an inconsolable state right he looks at the state of things in israel that advent state of israel and in that sense, it's in, there's nothing here that can console, that can bring comfort, that can wipe the tears away, if you will. You know, I, I've said this before. Again, if you go back to the, the study on Revelation, that in Revelation 5, when, you know, John, John is just in, in this rapturous glory of Revelation 4, he's in the throne room of God, and it's just awesome and unbelievable. And then he, he sees that the one seated on the throne is holding a scroll in his right hand. And the scroll is sealed with seven seals. So, yay, 
you know, God has a plan. There's a decree. His purposes are there. There's the scroll, the decrees that he has for the salvation, if you will, of the world. Oh, but it's sealed. And it's not just sealed. It's sealed with seven seals, you know. But that's no problem. Surely there's somebody who can open this thing, right? And, and, and then it says, and then the elders start looking for someone worthy to open the scroll. This is great. We have the purposes and plan of God. Is there, is there anyone who can open it? And it says, and they searched in the heavens and on the earth and under the earth. And lo and behold, there was no one. No one was found worthy to open the scroll or to loose its seals. And then it says, John says, and I wept much. And he, John just breaks out weeping. He's inconsolable. There's no one to accomplish the purposes of God. Who is worthy to do what God has promised? In Genesis 3.15, God expressed in seed form, but a promise of what he was going to do. He was going to set everything right. But the entire Old Testament, if you will, has been this cosmic search by us. I mean, God knows what he's doing. God's not going, oh, no, there's no one. But the process is dragged out for us where basically it's like, Abram, is it you? No. You know, Jacob, is it you? No. Moses, is it you? No. David, no. Isaiah, you know, who is worthy? And there's no one worthy. And Simeon knows it. Simeon knows we need consolation because there is nothing but weeping if that scroll remains sealed with its seven seals. All these amazing promises, all these amazing prophecies, all these wonderful things, this treasure of Israel is locked up behind those seven seals. And Simeon is waiting and longing for consolation. When finally he will hear the elder say to him as he says to John, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, he is worthy. He is able to loose the seals. So, so Simeon finds himself in that same Revelation 5, John before the throne moment, and he is waiting with anticipation for consolation. And I said in that Revelation text that, and I truly believe this, that apart from Jesus Christ, there is cause for nothing but weeping. Right? The only reason people aren't driving up and down this road just bawling their eyes out is they're deluded. They're distracted. They refuse to look at the reality of what is before them. But I tell you, there is cause for nothing but we, even the best news they could receive today outside of Jesus Christ is cause, frankly, for weeping. There's no consolation. The only cause for one to stop weeping legitimately, is the words of the elder. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah. Or this moment when Jesus is brought into the presence of Simeon. And so, brothers and sisters, you and I have felt that consolation that, uh, that Simeon longed for. And we have legitimate cause not to weep, to, to, to have our tears wiped away by the Lord. So Simeon is like Israel. He's waiting and he understands the inconsolable state of Israel. And he's longing for the day when that consolation will come. And we're told that the Holy Spirit is upon him. And by the Holy Spirit, 
here just we we can maybe talk about this in Sunday school, but it's a beautiful um, a beautiful picture of how the triune economy works. That what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit here we see in Simeon has him looking the right place, right? The Holy Spirit keeps him just and devout and longing, but then also we're told, and he's led by the Holy Spirit into the temple to see Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings him to Jesus. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Um, so actually, and, and also the Holy Spirit reveals to him, gives this message to him that he would see the Christ. So you have the Holy Spirit mentioned three times in three verses there. Uh, it's not insignificant. Okay, now he's led by the Spirit into the, the temple, and there he sees the child Jesus, and as he does, he receives his child, and again, I just take that Revelation 5, the weeping stops, if you will. Uh, it is just this consolation, this this balm, this comfort, this gasp of, of, of joy that he has when he uh, receives Jesus, and he took him up in his arms and blessed God, and then sings the song that we sing. And let's just think about this song for a second as we think, why, okay, what is the blessing that Jesus is? What does Simeon see? Well, number one, in, in verse 29, and this is why I I titled the sermon this way, All We Need to See. For Simeon, again, the focus here is, is expressed, and Lord, you can let me die now. That's essentially what he's saying. Lord, you dismiss your servant in peace. Now, we say it as we go out of church, and we don't mean that, <laughs> but but we're, I guess we, we would if, if really pressed. We're just saying, Lord, dismiss us from this service, but that's not what Simeon means. Simeon means I'm ready to die now. Lord, you can take me. I've seen all I need to see here. If I have Jesus, if I see Jesus, I, I, my soul is content. What a beautiful place to be in. Is that true of us? Is that all we need to see? You know, is that all we need to know? Are we ready to die if we have Jesus? Again, this is why I took up Philippians 1 in that, because for Paul, I think it was. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's like, I got a problem on my hands here. That's what he goes on. I, mean, I got a problem. I got to decide. Is it better? What am I wishing for here? Am I wishing to die? On the other hand, it's important that I be here with you and I serve. But boy, you know, I'd love to go be with the Lord. You know, this is a battle for him. Like death, you know, is flirting with him because it brings him to the Lord. Because I think he had a Simeon-esque uh, uh, worldview. And for him, Jesus was all he needed and all he needed to see. And if he had that, then prison, not prison, life, death, it doesn't matter. I've got, I've got Jesus. So Lord, let your servant now, let your servant now depart in peace as you've said. You said I wouldn't die until I saw this child. And, and by the way, Israel, Israel too is, a, is, is, is going to change now. Israel, Israel's Old Testament ways are going to die as well, right? They were, going to, they were going to be there until the day that Jesus came. And when Jesus came, Old Testament Israel also goes away. Um, her ways change. She's not the same anymore. And you know that on the other side of the cross and resurrection. The temple goes away and the priesthood goes away and the sacrifices go away. They can depart in peace. You've done your job. Uh, your consolation is here. Your reality. You give way now to the to the Savior. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. And then in verse 32, we get these two, he, he splits out these two uh, 
uh, consolations, if you will. On the one hand, he is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Those who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. And this is really what we took up in part last week at Epiphany. Right? Jesus is a light to the Gentiles. It's, it's Gentile kings. Herod is ready to kill him, but the Gentile kings are coming to worship him. And then, even then, he, he, he escapes by night. And where does he go? He goes to Egypt, to a Gentile land. And even there, the light of Jesus is brought into the Gentile land. Right, right early on, we have light being brought to the Gentiles. And all of this is just a foretaste of the entire ministry of Jesus, where now it's going to make its way out to all the nations. By the time this book ends, by the time the Gospels end, Jesus is going to be telling his disciples, go now into all nations and make disciples of them, baptizing them and teaching everything that I've taught you. Jesus came and Israel was to bring him forth as a light to the nations. In you, Abraham, and in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Simeon is pleased by that. Simeon is blessed by that. That this gift to Israel, this consolation to Israel, is a consolation to the world. He is to bring the light of revelation to all Gentiles. And then finally, in verse 32, and the glory of your people, Israel. He is the glory of Israel. That is, he is everything Israel was about. Israel exists for this. Right? He, he does not exist to make Israel glorious. He is the glory of Israel. If Israel was aiming at, if, if, he, if Israel views Jesus, Messiah, as a means to another end, they missed the point. Jesus is why Israel exists. And that's why any, even today, any identification with Israel, and here I'm not talking about the the, the nation of Israel as a geopolitical entity. But with Israel, I'm putting quotes around it, as the people of God. Any identification of Israel as the people of God that does not include Christ is not Israel that way. It is not the people of God. The glory of Israel is Jesus. And if you want to be part of Israel, then you need to be part of Jesus because Jesus is the glory of Israel. He is everything Israel was about. Israel exists so that Jesus could come as Messiah and be a blessing to all nations. That is why Israel exists. And Simeon sees it. Jimmy, Simeon sees in Jesus, in holding this child, he sees the glory of his people. He sees what the whole Old Testament story has been about. It's to bring us to this moment. Now, after he's done singing, he turns. And he speaks to Joseph and Mary because Joseph and his mother marveled at these. And it's interesting. So they, the, the, the shepherds come and they marvel. The wise men are coming. They're marveling. Uh, uh, here, Simeon does this. They're marveling. So I think they know they have some sense. But even they are, are taken by, this, by, this, uh, by Simeon's theology and his singing. They, mar they marveled at those things which were spoken to them. Then Simeon blessed them. And said to them, now, now here he's done singing, but he turns to Mary and Joseph and he's going to interpret and give them prophesy regarding the very ministry and mission of this child. And I think this is important for us now 
Not that the song isn't, but this is important for us to have a sense again of the story we are part of. We thought about this last week with the darkness of Herod trying to kill the baby Jesus, right? It's like that's the world in which we serve. We follow that king that the world wants to kill, you know. And you got to know that. We're not just fritting around having our own little individual beliefs. No, you're in a cosmic battle and you're in a world where they want to kill Christ and they want to kill the servants of Christ. You got to know that. You got to put your full armor on. Well, I'll notice here, Simeon goes the same place. Oh, in this glorious light to the Gentiles and glory of Israel. And then he turns and says this. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many. The first thing he says about Jesus is he's destined for the fall of many. He doesn't even start with the rise. of. He doesn't say for the rise and fall of many. He starts with fall. Jesus is destined to bring people down. You know, when we sing the Psalms that we sing, I was wondering, I always think about what you're thinking. It's, I think, I don't know what, uh, some social problem I have, you know, but social anxieties and things. But I'm always wondering, what are people thinking as we're singing this or when we're hearing that? And I was wondering what you were thinking when we're singing the song, because it's talking about defeat, you know, tear down this evildoer and don't give them their just desserts and, you know, these kinds of things. What do we think about that? Simeon comes right and looks at Jesus, not just Old Testament stuff. He says, Jesus is going to do, he's going to rip people off their perches. I mean, and don't forget, I mean, even Herod, Jesus immediately comes in and there's Herod on his perch, you know, high and mighty, trying to kill Jesus. Mary, when she gets the word and, and meets Elizabeth and then breaks out into song, if you go back and look at her song, the Magnificat, she basically sings the same thing. Beware, you mighty. He's going to exalt the humble. Those who have no bread are going to have more than they could ever imagine. But you who are filled will find yourself empty. You who are in positions of power are going to be ripped down. And you, the low and the humble, are going to be exalted. I mean, that's her song when she meets Elizabeth. Much like the song of Hannah back in 1 Samuel when she gets the news that she's going to have a child. So there's right from the beginning, Jesus comes and as he said, I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. Like, well, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. The angels were just singing peace on earth, goodwill to men. And Simeon comes along and says, he's destined for the fall and the rise of many. This is going to get difficult. There's going to be challenges here. Be careful what side. The, the, I almost chose for our word of exhortation today that passage in 1 Corinthians 10. Beware you who stand lest you fall. You know, that's a passage that picks up on the same thing. There are going to be those who fall, who think they're strong and mighty. And they will be torn down. Or I could have picked the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It was one of those things where like the, the Pharisee is the one who stands. He looks down at the tax collector and says, thank you that you didn't make me like him. And the tax collector who's down and lowly, who won't even lift his eyes to heaven, but beats his chest. And Jesus says, which one of these men went home justified? I tell you, the tax collector went home justified. The rise and the fall. The, the, the Pharisee who everybody would have said is the man is brought down and the tax collector elevated. 
This, you can look through the ministry of Jesus and use that lens, and it would be an interesting thing to see what pops out. Who is being elevated in the ministry of Jesus? Who is being brought down in the ministry of Jesus? So this is the world we inhabit, and those who are high, who are brought down, do not like being brought down. And so again, there's conflict. So he will, this, he will be, uh, uh, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Secondly, he is destined to be a sign which will be spoken against. So again, conflict right from the outset. Like, hey, he bless, this is how he blesses Mary and Joseph, okay? So the blessing of Mary and Joseph is this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many. He will be a sign which will be spoken against. Don't be surprised when Herod tries to kill him. Do not be surprised when the, when, when, when the crowds later cry out, crucify him, crucify him. And then finally in verse 35, and yes, a sword will pierce your own soul also. This is not just something that Jesus is going to go through, but Mary herself is going to have a sword pierce her soul. And I believe, I almost entitled this sermon, The Sword Pierce Soul of Christ's Followers. I couldn't put it nice and succinctly. So I said, all right, get it out of there. But in some sense, this is the nature of the church. Mary will have a sword pierce soul. I mean, she, as the mom, has to watch her son go through this, a very unique person in the whole story. But this is, in some sense, something the whole church has to deal with. We have to pick up our cross, it turns out, and follow him. We have to deny ourselves. It is through much affliction, through much hardship, Paul said to the church in Iconium, that you must enter the kingdom. The church will have a sword-pierced soul if we are going to follow him. And you need to know this from the outset. You need to know this from the outset, that the story we are in, because we have finally received consolation, means Paul ends up in prison writing to the Philippians about how Christ is being preached, and I don't care how he's being preached, whether it's by people mocking me or not, right? That Philippians 1 passage. This is the story we're in. And we need to understand it. Simeon understood it. He rejoiced in it, though he was about to leave it. But he passes it on to Mary and Joseph and makes sure that they understand prophetically the story that they are in. This is your consolation, Mary. This is the consolation, Joseph. But know that now the battle begins. Now we find ourselves in an epic battle. One, again, whose end is not in doubt. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. But nonetheless, it will be for the rise and fall of many. He will be a sign spoken against, and a sword will pierce your soul also. Well, brothers and sisters, may we remember the story we're in. And may we follow this King faithfully, joyfully, feeling that consolation, knowing that we need not weep. For all that we need is Christ, and we have him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, for the song of your faithful servant, Simeon. Father, forgive us for our distracted eye. Forgive us for finding consolations in things other than Christ, for there is no consolation other than Christ. And Lord, we pray 
that as we rejoice in him, that you would prepare us for the ministry that he brings, one of conflict, one of antithesis, one of clashing, one of rejection, one of rising and falling, Father, one of sword piercing of the soul. And Lord, we pray indeed, as Paul challenged us in the word of exhortation today, that you would help us then, in light of this good news, to live lives worthy of the calling you've given to us in him. We give you thanks for the gift of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.